Good day, and welcome to episode 49 of the Aaron Wayne podcast. So I started this intro, and I'm like 90% sure this is the 49th episode. And now that I think about it more, I don't think it is, but I don't think I have the time to figure out because I'm already rolling. I think it's number 48. It is. It's 48. Well, I'm not redoing the intro. We're just going to keep on cruising. Man, I took some time off. I didn't do this for a grip. I used to, before I started making a podcast, I when people wouldn't post podcasts over the winter break, I would get salty and I would say, it's not that hard. Just make a podcast. I want to listen to it. Turns out, once you get out of the groove, it's like, it takes some effort to like put the pieces back together. Like I had to do all the lighting in this space and like, but we're back at it, baby. Yeah. It's exciting. My, uh, my wife and I, uh, I think we're going to buy a house, which is pretty, pretty bonkers. It's pretty insane to think about like going through that process. And there's all these like little legal things that you don't know are necessary, but then you read the contract and you're like, actually, this is a pretty big deal. <laughs> like you should, this should be covered. Like, I don't know. You ever bought a house before? I haven't. I've been a renter for a long time, but it is about time. Your boy is making some chatter. Not really. Not really. But got enough chatter for a house. How about it? <sighs> Feels good doing this again, man. I um, We've been spending a lot of time at home, man. Winter break, we had teachers you get like a chunk of time off in the winter which is like is pretty needed you you need that time to kind of recoup from the first semester but my wife and I have been spending a lot of time together and I think she's tired of me I think she's tired of (laughs) which is different because when we travel and we spend the summer on the road it's like we really catch a groove and I think it's something about like being in the house it's kind of coops you up get a little cabin fevery and we just got uh, 10 inches of snow something like that and did i shovel the snow today i did not shovel the snow today i didn't shovel any of the snow today and i was also supposed to build a snowman would you like to build a snowman i don't even know that song i don't even know the movie but you know what i'm talking about supposed to make a snowman today and i gotta text my mom and say cindy lou didn't get the snowman built today because i was trying to Dude, I was doing big boy stuff. I was buying houses and whatnot. It's crazy. We almost bought a real clunker of a house because I'm nothing if not idealistic and ambitious. And I found this house that was built in the early 1900s. It was completely falling apart, but it was beautiful at some point in its history. And I thought I could, I could do this. I could do all of it. And then I talked to my realtor and he said, Aaron, you can't do this. <laughs> That's how I do it, man. That's how I think. I'm thinking big, man. I'm in this book called Cultish right now. And uh, we built a home gym and I was on the treadmill and I read like 10% of this book today. I know it's 10% because Kindle tells me it was 10%. So this book Cultish is pretty bonkers, man. This actually the last podcast I posted right before winter break, the podcast that I was supposed to post right before winter break was about school shootings. Didn't seem appropriate right before the holidays. So that's going to come out in two weeks, but um, it's a little dark, but I don't know. Sometimes 
that's what the podcast is for me in a lot of ways. It's an opportunity to kind of talk and figure things out. But the uh, podcast I posted before this was how to start a cult, which is kind of a cheeky title. But I just see all these people that, out in the world. And I'm seeing more of it now. I guess it's a New Year's thing. Like people, oh, I got a thing popped up. Um, people are like more apt around winter break to like they're starting the new year. So they're thinking, Oh, to do this new thing. And I think these like culty sort of fitness guru, spiritual leader people. I think they, I mean, I guess I'm a, I'm, I'm attributing malintent to these people when I probably shouldn't, but I don't know. As soon as you get your business entangled with like trying to, help people actualize live your dream it's just like i don't know it, it seems dirty i don't know and this book cultish is all about that the book starts out talking about these kundalini yogis and this woman if you don't know what kundalini is it's just a specific type of yoga that's less about what you probably think yoga is which is movement and breath and it's more about breath and repetitive mantra like it's just like very repetitive right kundalini is very repetitive and it's about i'm not going to do a whole podcast on kundalini i'm actually not very versed on kundalini um but the book starts out following this girl uh this woman who was like indoctrinated into this kundalini um cult is like this weird word but cult just for lack of a better word right now and another woman who became an avid CrossFitter and how similar those two worlds are and how people can easily get tangled up into cult-like followings, cult-like spaces. And the book is all about the language of cults. Am I reading the book so that I can start a cult? No, I'm not. <laughs> um... It's interesting. Um, and it, in the book, they mentioned the documentary on Netflix called uh, Wild Wild Country. If you haven't seen that, it is a banger of a show. And I want to see, I actually wanted to watch it again. I sat down to watch that again a couple months back and uh, kind of stalled on it. But I think that looking back at that a couple years after first seeing it, without the surprises, like there's a couple surprises in that, I think it'd be cool to kind of just see how that, how it happens how do they do this stuff? That wasn't the intention of this podcast. I've been trying to, uh, I've always been a really big reader and I've been trying to like keep my, the stuff that I'm reading organized so that I can actually talk about it instead of just like letting it evaporate in me having intense conversations with people at, at a bar or at their house when they're like, hey, Aaron, I don't want to talk about this right now. And I'm like, I read the book and I need you to hear what I have to say. So one of the things I just finished reading was about the internet research agency. So I read this article from the Atlantic. Is this a book report? This is the first time I've ever done this on the podcast. Actually not true. I talked about um, some of the Chinese policies around internet usage for kids and the censorship of the internet. That was a couple of podcasts back. I don't even know what I titled that one, but this is, so I guess this is the second time that I've talked about what I read, but I read this Atlantic article about the internet research agency. And if you don't know what the internet research agency is, uh, if you're following on YouTube, I'll pop this image up in for you. But the internet research agency is, uh, basically a troll farm on the internet that is funded by the, f 
their government, the Russian government. It sounds, dude, I can't even, I shouldn't. <laughs> I sound like a crazy person. The Atlantic published this article. There's such a fine line between maybe the better conversation to have is like, what is it that you don't sound crazy talking about? <laughs> we have a snow day tomorrow. And it's six o'clock and your boy cracked a beer. So this one's for you guys. Watch this. Mm. Mm. Delicious. I'll try not to burp into the microphone. Um, yeah, snow day tomorrow. Pretty exciting. But I'm pretty sure you sound crazy no matter what you talk about if you are talking about anything that isn't um, commonly known. But here's the punchline. I'll just tell you. I am already started talking about it. If you think I'm crazy, just read the Atlantic article. The internet research, you guys remember all the stuff that was happening in 2016. They're like, the Russians are controlling our social media and manipulating the election. I don't know enough about that to have a strong opinion, but I do know uh, that the internet research agency is a comp like a, a, a body created by the Russian government. The more I, I can't even, I can't even get this sentence out without sounding like a lunatic. They're going to ban me off of everything. The Atlantic published this article. Okay. Keep it together, Rico. You're not crazy. Am I? Okay. Let me just read what this says. The Internet Research Agency is a Russian troll farm in St. Petersburg. Again, this is The Atlantic, one of the most credible uh, magazines uh, out. If you don't read The Atlantic, it's awesome. And then read The Econ Economist. It's like, you got to read both. But in essence, a Kremlin-backed enterprise staffed with hundreds of people whose main job is to sow disinformation on the internet. The organization, which serves as a propaganda arm for president, the Russian president. So starting in 2014, the Troll Factory was given a budget of $1.25 a month. To, in the words of the indictment, so this is the Mueller indictment back um, uh, back in the couple, I guess it was a year or two ago. Uh, their express intent is to spread distrust toward the candidates and the political system in general. So, if you were a high-ranking official in um, any government, any government, you could say, okay, you can give me, if you're like doing a proposal, option one, give me $20 billion a year and I can develop this very specific military um, protocol and weaponry, right? Or... You could give me a hundred or you give me a million dollars a month, and I could sort of dismantle people's faith in their government abroad. Does that make sense? So, like, you have these two things. It's like you can, as a someone who is adversarial to another country, spend a bunch of money on weapons technology, or use the tools of the internet in order to just make people feel like they don't trust their government, right? And so. My school is calling me right now. I'm not going to answer you. So that's what Russia has decided to do. And for sure, we're doing this, right? It would be kind of like pointless not to, right? And we know this is a very useful tool. Social media is a really useful tool for getting people to think certain things. But here's where it gets really crazy. 
and again, this is the Atlantic, very credible source. So Chen, one of the individuals uh, associated with the report, detailed elaborate hoaxes crafted by the IRA, the Internet Research Agency, to feed into American fears. On September 11th, 2014, for instance, reports circulated online of a toxic chemical leak in Louisiana. I didn't hear about this at the time, but apparently this is a thing. The hoax involved fake social media accounts, fake videos, and fake news websites mimicking those of real news organizations like CNN all used to create a veneer of authenticity. Similar hoaxes were designed to spread panic around the killing of unarmed black people by the police and the Ebola virus. So, <laughs> what do we do? What am I supposed to do with that information? You know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, a good friend of mine lives in Vegas now. We actually saw her this summer and her cute little chihuahua um, stayed with her for a couple days exploring Vegas. And I was having a conversation with her via FaceTime the other day. And there's this real challenge for people that are curious, because if you're genuinely curious, then you're willing to read the things that you're not supposed to read. Like the, the, the culture tells you like, these are the books that you're, you, you know, you should be engaging in. And these are the articles and magazines that you should be engaging in whether wherever you are right whether wherever you are in the political spectrum and as soon as you read the things that the unconscious culling of thought that people give out openly as soon as you start to step out of that and say like okay well i i see that this is what i should be listening to but what is it that these people are saying what is it that's being said on the other side of the argument or even like, what is it that people aren't talking about? As soon as you start to do that, then you have this sort of knowledge in your head where for some people, it turns them towards conspiracy thinking, where they end up having really crazy narratives that they weave because they have a little kernel of truth about something uh, that powerful people have done that is insidious or at least negligent or um, based on self-interest. And they weave an entire narrative about how the world is conspiring against people, which I don't think is necessarily the case. I think it's people's incentives are in line the way they are, and they just follow through with what they follow through with. I don't think it's about, you know, tamping down the working class necessarily, though it may be. I don't know. I'm willing to learn more about that. But someone like me who's genuinely curious, you know, instead of going down that that path of being crazy into wild conspiracies, what I end up with is I want to talk to somebody about this, but it's like you have this information in your head that the internet research agency, and now you have it, you're welcome. The internet research agency has spent a million dollars a month since 2014 to sow discourse, unhealthy discourse in our country. And this is like proven this is this isn't this isn't crazy this was reported to congress through the Mueller report so what do i do with that information what do i do with the they have evidence that they got people riled up about ebola virus about um killing of unarmed black people and about um the other example was some fake attack in uh 2014 so well how am I supposed to trust anything on the internet? I mean, you can't really trust really much of anything on the internet, but I think the future of internet and knowledge given by internet 
is going to be based on personalities. I think that, and we all are probably already unconsciously doing this. Like I trust this person, but this is a thing that was said like on a Reddit page or Twitter or Facebook. And like, I don't really know who said that, but what is the person that I think is telling me the truth or at least is operating on good faith? What do they say about this issue? But I don't think that most people are aware of those things. I don't think most people are aware that they are, that other governments are manipulating our social media, which makes perfect sense. It's cheap, right? And if you, so here's, here's a fun thing for you to do. Just get on, um, get on the Googler, www.gooogle.com and type in troll farm and see the pictures of what these people do. I mean, they're like terminals, like these massive displays of people who are just going from screen to screen to screen with different usernames and they're just fighting. They're just trying to fight with people. It's really far out, man. Um, another piece from the article, it was largely staffed by college students from the prestigious St. Petersburg State University, Russia's number two university. Their majors included international relations, linguistics, and journalism. They were, in other words, young, educated, worldly, and urban. The very cohort Americans imagined would rise up against someone like Putin. Instead, they worked in the factory, making nearly double the average Russian salary, sowing discord on Twitter, Facebook, in the comments sections of various websites. They were instructed not to mention Russia, but instead to focus on issues that divided Americans like guns and race. They This is the craziest part. Listen to this. They learned their subject matter from reading American social media posts and watching House of Cards, effectively weaponizing American culture and openness. <laughs> it's just so, it's so intriguing to see like, hey, like, you know, you show up to work one day, you work in the Russian troll farm, you work in the internet research agency, and uh, your manager says, you guys need to watch more House of Cards. You need to know what these Americans are up to. <laughs> As if that's representative. I don't know. I guess that art is representative of the the world, of, of, of a culture, right? I guess House of Cards is aspirational for most people, looking at power brokers kind of doing their thing in the world. But how do they get... How do, if they're watching House of Cards and listening to like hip hop music and um, watching our, you know, New Year's Eve countdown kind of stuff, if they're watching very pop culture things, I don't think those things necessarily represent American people. So, how is it that Americans are getting sucked into this wonkiness of troll farms? I don't know. Should I start a troll farm? It's probably a lucrative business. How could you monetize a troll farm? I guess you could probably have a troll farm. Dude, and honestly, like, how many of the how many of the accounts online are actually real? It sounds it sounds these things sound crazy to say, but realistically, someone who's savvy and knows a little bit of coding, they could just create fake accounts that like generate language that just tweet out tweet 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 tweet. I don't know, man. Who even uses Twitter? I think Twitter is this thing that elites use. Not elites, but like, I think Twitter is this thing that people are, that are already known use. People that are already in the world and have an audience, they, they use Twitter to 
say the things they say, and then it becomes circled back into the news. Um, dude, I had this idea about the news. I think the news is like um, multi-level marketing schemes. I think the news is like this idea of here's a political opinion. We're going to give it to you. And now go try and sell it to all of your friends. <laughs> because I don't think people are genuinely... I don't think people are genuinely accessing their um, critical thinking and looking at world events and policy. We just got a new governor in Virginia and uh, he signed 11 executive orders the day he came into office. A couple of ones that stood out to me is uh, a couple of them were already like, um, I don't know, like there, there was a bill that came through Virginia's uh, legislator that I posted on my Instagram, Aaron Wynn Yoga. And it was about how Virginia schools uh, should be giving access to parents in regards to school board meetings, budgetary concerns, uh, materials used in the classroom, all of which are already part of what happens in the classroom. Uh, you, if you, as a parent, you have the right to even not even a parent. If you, you can go to a school board meetings are open sessions, you can go and have give public address even if you don't have a kid in the school system. You can also see the budget that's all public knowledge as well um and if you're a parent you can review the materials that are provided to your kid uh, in the classroom and you can opt them out of things so all of this is based on critical race theory and the claim that which i've talked about in another podcast the claim that that's what the public education system is pushing in a big way which again I, as i said before i don't think that that is necessarily what the public school system is pushing um though it does explicitly, at least for a while, say uh, things that would lead you to believe that on the Virginia Department of Education's website. But um, Glenn Youngkin uh, kind of piggybacking off of this bill that I think the ultimate outcome of a bill like that that would get passed is you're going to get parents who didn't know that they could go to school board meetings, review budgets, audit, not audit, but sort of like look at and see what materials are used in the classroom and choose to opt, opt their kids out. That was already a right of parents. And if a parent didn't know that prior to this bill coming in and Youngkin being elected and the public perception of teachers and what we're up to, like if, if they weren't aware of those things and the only thing that brought them in was their political leanings, what we're going to get is a lot of uninformed parents making decisions <laughs> because they should have known that. Like if you actually cared about your kid's education, you would have known a year ago, two years ago, I don't know, however long ago, you would have already known that you could go to school board meetings, review the budget, and look at materials that are provided in the classroom. So the fact that these people are now being activated without the prior knowledge of that indicates that they didn't know what was going on. And so now we have an uninformed um, cohort of people who are going to start to push their thoughts into the classroom, which I don't think is a good idea. So that was a bill, and I think Yunkin... Uh, piggybacked on a lot of those ideas and put a handful of those things into uh, executive orders on day one. He was working on a Saturday. You know, sometimes you got to work on a Saturday when you're trying to fundamentally change how parents uh, view their children's teachers. And then uh, another thing that he said was um, uh, parents have a right to um, have their kids go to school unmasked. I don't know what that's going to mean exactly because he's the governor, so he can make that uh, executive order apparently and what does that mean for school districts Do school districts have to give their parents to give kids 
and parents the choice of whether to mask in schools? And if so, what does that mean for teachers? And what, how does that play into, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, and I'm not going to go on it. I'm not going to really talk much more about my views on that because you can figure it out for yourself and that's what people have been doing. But I'm just curious how that would play out in the real world, right? You swipe a pen and that's one thing, but how does it actually, what does it actually look like to give all parents and kids the choice to wear a mask or not? How does that change the climate of a school, especially a school like mine, which is, um, you know, going to hesitate, they're going to hesitate to be cool with that. Um, as a general rule, at least that's my perception perception of, of all of that. But yeah, dude, I look back all the (laughs) media is a multi-level marketing scheme. They are just like, you know, they're like any of these things that I'm sure you've seen your friends like, Oh, now I'm selling this and selling that and sort of mines your relationships in order to sell a product. And it's like the major media corporations, mainstream media, not even mainstream media. Like I don't, I posted this on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Joe Rogan's podcast has 11 million viewers per episode. The second highest, um, from Nielsen reports is that it's like 2 million or 1 million, 1.4 million, something like that. Um, when it comes to the major news network. So it's like the mainstream ain't mainstream anymore. The mainstream is on the internet. It's in the podcast space. It's in, it's on YouTube. It's on, well, for him, for Rogan, it's on Spotify, but that's where people are getting their news and they're going to start cracking down on that. They can't have that. They can't have people out there sharing their opinions. Can't have people like Russell Brand pointing out, um, the great reset and all these different things. And like, I don't know, man. Everything you say sounds like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> That's the problem, man. That's the problem. Is um I went down that rabbit hole, man. When I was in college, I um I don't know. There's this thing that happens when you're in college where your brain sort of breaks open and you go from your hometown with your you know, nuclear family and your circle of friends and you're jettisoned into this new space where you're learning new things your perceptions of what it means to be a friend and a person and a citizen start to, to morph. And then I, I, when I went to this to college, it was 2007. I mean, the internet was just like in its early stages of being a, a consumer product, not just like not a consumer product in that, like you're buying things. Cause that was before that, that was the dot com boom, but like, like a media consumptive product. Um, I got caught in some crazy ideas and you know, I think that's what gives me the opportunity to see it's just like I'm a good teacher. Cause I was a bad student. I'm a good debunker because, uh, <laughs> I was like sort of conspiratorially minded when I was like 19 years old. Is that inflammatory to even admit? Have you ever believed anything that's kind of crazy and weird and people don't think that they agree with you? I don't know. You probably have, or you haven't been thinking. Which is possible too. A lot of people just don't think about these sorts of things. But if you do, trust me, people will think you're wild. It's like every week Katie says to me, hey, can you take that off of Instagram? (laughs) Like, why did you post that? I think I'm going to wrap it. I'm just trying to keep this at 30. I'm going to go upstairs and have some chili. Katie made chili. And uh, I got a snowman I got to build. And I got a house I got to buy. And uh, I got to... 
edit a podcast. I got to get back in the swing of editing podcasts. Someone reached out to me to try to edit my podcast for me, but I was like, first of all, I'm not making any money on this thing. Second of all, I don't know how you would edit it. I don't know who you are, buddy. I'm not just going to Venmo you $70 to edit my podcast. Just some rando that emails my like open email account for my business. <laughs> Trying to grow things. 22. Oh, I got a time. Sorry. I had a timer for 30 minutes and I'm right at that timer. That's probably an obnoxious way for me to cue that the podcast is over. I'll catch you guys on the next one.